Hello and welcome to the latest episode of the Hope Not Hate podcast. I'm Matthew McGregor, Hope Not Hate's Campaigns Director. Following yesterday's publication of the EHRC investigation into anti-Semitism in the Labour Party, we wanted to bring together people directly working on and impacted by the report. In this episode, I spoke to Peter Mason, the National Secretary of the Jewish Labour Movement, Gemma Levine, Hope Not Hate's Deputy Director, and Stella Creasy, the Labour MP for Walthamstow. I started by asking Peter for his reaction to the report itself. So we welcome the report. Um, One of the remarkable things about reading it through yesterday was seeing on paper so much of the argument that we played into the EHRC um, around themes of kind of culture and leadership, but also policy and and procedure. And this was a report that was a long time coming. Um, We'd done so much kind of work uh, to pull it together, to, to kind of bring people's experiences to bear in terms of what was happening inside the Labour Party, but then also to kind of document the, the timeline of the failure, really, that um, we'd experienced. And, you know, in the run into that report, I suppose we, we felt that we, we, could have, we could have been on the receiving, any, uh, receiving end of anything um, just because we had kind of no sense as to where the, where the commission was going. You know, we were a third party. Um, but reading it, kind of when we saw it land in our, you know, in our inboxes at 10am was, was just a total relief, actually, a, a really big relief. And do you feel like a vindication? Um, it's difficult to kind of call it a vindication in the sense that, you know, it was, this has never really been a fight that we picked. You know, uh, we remarked um, on a call yesterday with somebody that um, a group of us had got together in 2013, if you like, to kind of... Um, revive JLM uh, you know it'd been a sleepy kind of quiet socialist society socialist societies can often be and um, you know we put together a mini manifesto and, and that manifesto that we all kind of stood on uh, for position not once mentioned the word anti-semitism it just wasn't there like it wasn't um, an issue and it talked about um, it talks about social care and it talks about housing and it talks about Jewish values and how we bring them all to bear um, but ultimately it's a fight none of us wanted, but were forced into. So that fight has made a lot of people feel like victims and they have experienced some really life-changing and emotional experiences throughout. And, you know, it's a relief to have somebody tell you that you weren't lying, right? And a relief that in the context of people um, telling you that you were, uh, or that you were making it up, or that you were doing it for factional advantage, the relief that came with somebody independent finally saying, "No, you're right. We should believe you," was great. But there's no sense of like victory from yesterday. There's no sense of um, achievement because we should never have been there in the first place. You know, um, yeah. it's just you know, none of us would have anticipated wanting to have that fight or being involved in that fight. And it was just something that, you know, we, we didn't have any choice with, really. Gemma, Gemma, I want to bring you in here because before the HRC report came out yesterday, you, you published a piece on the Hope Not Hate website about your own personal experience and the, and the pain that this fight, uh, even needing to be fought, as Peter said, the pain that that's caused. Do, do you feel that a similar sort of sense of, sort of relief that this report is out but you know an ongoing pain yeah I mean I think it's uh is that sense of like Peter said we were 
Jewish people working in progressive spaces because we cared about progressive causes. And yet over the last few years, you've got to that point of feeling constantly anxious about whether you were being judged just purely within the framework of what was going on and what was being said. Um, and whether you're, whether you were being valued despite the fact that you were Jewish um, or whether you were being not listened to because you were being framed as Jewish in a problematic way. And that's just something which you kind of carried with you, whether you were coming to work, whether you were, you know, whether or not you were a member of the Labour Party, whether or not you were active in the Labour Party, but something that so many of my friends who work in progressive spaces or just are, just consider themselves to be, you know, decent people who care about others, found that they were confronting all the time, whether they work in the NHS, just that constant sense of your Jewish identity not having been something that you had to consider. And suddenly it is, and suddenly it's there in the background as a kind of weight that you, something that you want to only see in a positive way, but something you're worried that people are seeing in a negative way. Stella, you know, as a as a, a member of parliament representing the Labour Party and as a long-standing Labour Party member, you know, I mean, I don't know about you, but for, for me, the the pain is one of shame rather than obviously I'm, I'm not Jewish and I'm not I've not been the target of this abuse, but the the shame that uh, I felt yesterday was very intense. As an MP and as someone representing the party, how do you how did you feel when you were reading through the report? Well, I should also say I'm a member of the Jewish Labour Movement and my partner is Jewish. So I have seen and indeed experienced firsthand a lot of the abuse that people are talking about. Um, so there is shame in a professional context that your political movement that you join, that you are proud to represent, that you fought for. I mean, you know, the, I think none of us go into the Labour Movement thinking it's in half measures. You know, this is a cause. This is something that, that motivates us in life. But also on a very personal level, I have seen the pain, the hurt, the fear that this behaviour has caused. And I also think it's very telling listening to Gemma and Peter talk about it. One of the terms that people bandy about, um, and often you'll see it on social media and you'll see it being sneered at, is this concept of what people call gaslighting from the, the 1950s play. The idea that what is happening to you isn't happening to you. So you begin to question yourself, you begin to doubt your experiences. And people can be very dismissive of the idea that that's a, a problem until you realise just how much that destabilises a person's sense of self-worth. And I think one of the things that we have to recognise is just how personally draining the experience, not just of having experienced the abuse, but then having not been believed or been told that you're politically motivated or told that it wasn't that big a deal, um, that it was just free speech. Uh, that has had um, both in terms on individual members but just also on the culture of the Labour movement. Uh, yesterday's report I think like uh, like Peter and Gemma you know you sat and you read it and, and even if you were aware those things were happening to see it in black and white was a sucker punch to the gut about something that you care passionately about. I always call it the, the Labour family and it and it felt like the entirety of um, our Labour family was just broken um, and broken because it didn't didn't stand for what it should do. It wasn't a party of justice and equality. It wasn't an anti-racist party. It was a party that was perpetuating racism and therefore perpetuating inequality. 
Peter, can I talk a bit about the day yesterday? Because it was it was such a. Um, I mean, it's, it's it's been built. We've been building towards it for so long. Just talk us through for people that weren't necessarily following along minute by minute. Just what what did JLM do, and and how did you respond, and and how do you feel like the day uh, uh, unfolded? Well, for us, the day, if you like, started at eight o'clock um, in the offices of our of our legal team, Mish Condorea, who I have to say have just been the most kind of wonderful people to work with, both in terms of their kind of understanding of equality law, but also just the kind of the care to which they um, brought to the project, but also to the people involved in the project too. Um, and it started at 8am with them being in a separate room to us because um, the HRC had entered kind of a legal confidentiality agreement with them that, that meant that they could see access to the report um, before, before any of us did. You know, we got it at 10am just at the same time as everybody else. And you know, partly that was challenging because it, it was almost like it was the, the same thing that had been happening for the, like, like the last five years in the Labour Party, which is, you know, the people for whom Labour Party anti-Semitism was directly impacting, i.e. Jewish members, kind of were once again the subject matter um, being talked about and discussed by others, but, um, but not kind of the ones um, really to, to know. And, you know, the Labour Party had had the, the report a couple of days before, so you know, in, in fraught conversations and calls with those who perhaps were, you know, trying to figure out how the, the, the pursuing couple of days might go, there was always this kind of um, elephant in the room, which was, you know, somebody else knew what the outcome of that report was before we did. Um, and that was particularly difficult. But at 10 o'clock, the, the report basically gets published. Um, and, you know, we kind of rush into the room uh, where our lawyers are and, and discover that, you know, yes, the Labour Party has committed um, unlawful acts. And there's what's called an unlawful acts notice. And we spent a bit of time processing that. And before you know it, um, the leader of the Labour Party, Keir Starmer, has made his, his kind of press statement at 11 o'clock. Um, but that had been prefixed with the intervention, which I'm sure we'll come, come to, which I, you know, I prefer not to talk about, um, but I'm sure we'll kind of cover those issues. Um, you know, nobody really wanted to be discussing any of that yesterday. Uh, and then our press conference at 12, which was, you know, supposed to be our takeaway and was supposed to be our ability to say, um, that, um, that, that, that we had seen the report, that we considered it, its findings, um, that we were con content to see that people had believed us finally, uh, and to go through what it might mean for the future of the party and for the future of Jewish community and for our members. Um, but of course, events blew it off course. And yet again, the story of Labour Party anti-Semitism and the people that impacted was lost in the media scrum that, that followed. Yeah, yeah, yet again, uh, uh, taking the issue away from the actual issue itself into... Um, uh, it's, it's, re fight. it's really disempowering. It's like it's really disempowering. Yeah. And that's been the story of the last five years. And that's why some of the language in the report is really quite liberating, because it's always happened, it's always happened to us, and controlled by others, um, and removing our agency. And um, again, that happened yesterday. And we'll see if we even get our agency back. Who knows? Right. Like you say, it's, it's frustrating to have to talk about it again, but I think it would be difficult to get through a podcast talking about the EHRC report and yesterday without uh, touching on it. Stella, I want to start with you and then come to Gemma. Mm. Um, how, I mean, as someone who is such a strong ally, how infuriating is it? And, and, and how do you, how do we, how do, how do people in the Labour Party deal with the the, the um, appalling reaction from some yesterday? What can we what can we do about it? 
Well, I think we can be clear that it is unacceptable as a starting point and that also it is not what we are there to talk about, which is recognising how deep this problem is within the labour movement and therefore how deep the answer needs to be about addressing it. And I think Peter has set it out so powerfully there that the agency of our Jewish members is what is paramount right now because as I say, that term gaslighting, that sense of destabilising people's voices, of minimising their voices, needs to be addressed, as well as some of the, the process issues. I mean, one of the things I felt very strongly was important to do yesterday was to amplify Jewish voices in this space. So I spent a lot of yesterday sharing comments that people were making, sharing blogs, saying, actually, this is what you should be reading. This is what you should be thinking about when it comes to this. Of course, and I, I speak as somebody who has spent several years uh, in private meetings in the labour movement, then increasingly in public meetings, speaking out and trying to encourage the leadership of the Labour Party, not just one person, but the leadership of the Labour Party to act and also to recognise the scale of the problem, to recognise what the problems were, and to recognise then that not acting in itself was essentially green lighting some of this behaviour. Um, so to see people still revert to type was, was unacceptable. Um, and I think it is sad that, again, I think we're going to get drawn into a, is this a factional conversation? Because actually, I think there are people now who do get it, who do get that this is not a problem that was made up. This is not a problem that was factional. This is a problem that was deeply rooted in its in the culture of the labour movement that has, uh, and, and I would say that we haven't said his name, but I would say look, this is not something that started with Jeremy Corbyn. We had anti-Semitism in the labour movement before he became leader but it has become centred and acceptable and widespread. And that's what the EHRC report told us, and that we had done nothing to address those problems that were driving it. Um, that is on all of us. And so one of the things I feel very strongly about yesterday is absolutely people who have not recognised the scale of the problem are therefore become are part of the problem. But also to recognise the scale of the problem is not to say it's for other people to act. Um, each of us has a responsibility to not just push for the, 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 the practical measures in that report in terms of independent processes and um, clear leadership, but also to be leaders in our local parties, in our local communities about these issues, if we ever want to truly address how we got there. Um, often in these debates, people start with what's in front of them rather than asking how did we get there. And I think one of the things that was so frustrating about that statement yesterday by Jeremy Corbyn was it didn't recognise how we got there and all of our responsibility to address that. Gemma, in the run-up to yesterday, you and I uh, spent quite a bit of time talking about the need for actions, not just words. In his press conference, Keir said, if you deny that there's a problem, then you're part of the problem. And then he, uh, or not he, but the party, suspended the last leader of, of the party. Can you talk a bit about the sort of the competing emotions, I guess, or the competing thoughts on you know, how painful it must be to have the last leader of the Labour Party contest uh, what's happened and contest, contest the experience that Jewish people have had versus some level of, of, of I don't know, hope, I guess, uh, that action is being taken and that there's, there's a determination to make change happen. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, the last few years, there have been so many emotional highs and lows on this journey. And there have been those moments where people have let you down. And then there have been these moments where, you know, perhaps unexpected allies have stepped up and helped to sort of not just support you, but to validate you and to kind of be a kind of uh, 
some kind of barrier against all the gaslighting that's gone on. And I, I think that, you know, I went into yesterday morning, you know, kind of prepped with all my stuff ready on my screen, ready to, you know, read and comment and think. And I was very much in a sort of quite tight emotional place, just holding it all together. Um, and Keir's start statement was, you know, so firm and, and so, you know, I would say clinical because I think it was really passionate, but I think, it, you know, in terms of the messaging being very clear about where he was going with that, um, at, weirdly for me, I kind of fell apart, not when I read the statement put out on Facebook, but actually when I heard that he'd been suspended. And I think it was just a real emotional release of just, I don't even know what feeling at that point, but most of what came out of that straight away was just real frustration and anger. You know, this was a moment when most people, including the leadership of the Labour Party, um, were very clear that what we were talking about was the impact on victims and how to ameliorate that, what needs to happen next, who we need to listen to. And yet, you know, this is just such a spanner in the works. And I, I mean, I think, you know, Peter's absolutely right. It's not what we want to be talking about. Um, it's not what we want to be focusing on. You know, I, want, I would really like to be in a position where we could just park all that nonsense and actually go, okay, let's go back. Let's read the report again. Today is a day to read it more slowly, to underline the bits we really like, to think about what we personally could do. Like Stella said, there's, there's a place for all of us in fixing this problem. And the report's got some really, really clear outlines and frameworks for all of us. But there's also, as, you know, as Kim himself said, you know, there's more to do than what's in the report. Um, and we can all be part of that. I, I just want everyone to go back to focusing on what we do right. next right so in a way we've talked about yesterday or or as margaret hodge put it yesterday's man and now we can talk about uh the the future peter it's a it's a long to-do list in the report itself and as Gemma just said there's a a clear sense that uh, the report is the is the minimum the floor but for, for people that haven't followed it super super closely can you sort of summarize what is on the labor party's must do list yeah, yeah, for sure. And, um, you know, it's important to kind of understand the context of what, what the report says in terms of its like findings, but also the, the recommendations. The, the unlawful act notice, which is effectively the Equalities and Human Rights Commission saying that the Labour Party has broken equalities law, um, had, had three things with it. Um, the first is, is that the Labour Party um, has harassed Jewish members. Um, and the way that it explained that was that there are, if, if you're an officer of the party and you hold a position or, or, or you hold a degree of responsibility, then, you know, your actions and your words and your deeds do have impacts on people. And so they found in a couple of specific circumstances in a, if you like, a pool of, of 70 case studies, which they were looking at, um, that there are unlawful acts. And they went on to say that, you know, beyond those two people who held positions of power and responsibility, there are an additional 18 for whom there was a kind of a question mark over whether the Labour Party was responsible um, for them in terms of their actions or, or, or them as individuals. But it then went on to say that like at least a third of the cases that they had um, explored had what they kind of termed member on member anti-Semitism. So, you know, so this, this, this notion that kind of um, uh, that we've seen kind of played out certainly in the last 24 hours that again anti-Semitism is just a small issue you know, 0.03% of the overall membership, etc. That's not what the EHRC report said. It said that, um, that in, in a significant um, section of their sample that they could see harassment. It found that the Labour Party um, had indirectly discriminated against Jewish people on, on two grounds. The first being direct political interference um, in the disciplinary processes. 
um, that it said had continued all the way through to um, mid-2019. Now, ironically, of course, the, the, the point at which the EHRC started um, investigating the Labour Party, and so you can perhaps understand why that might have changed in, in mid-2019. Um, and the third, and, and personally significant for me, um, partly kind of as somebody who was um, pleading with the party at the time to do it, was that the Labour Party indirectly discriminated by not giving those responsible for disciplinary processes, whether members of the NEC or the NCC or staff, um, training, training to understand anti-Semitism, to understand its historical context, but importantly, to know how then to apply it when dealing with complaints that had come through the system. And so those three, if you like, unlawful acts are the base plate of what comes next, which is uh, a plan, a process that has to be, if you like, in place by December the 10th, which will set out how the party's going to do things like deal with its culture, um, you know, deal with um, educating members and educating people involved in the disciplinary processes, setting standards and better governance. Um, and, and all of those things will um, now be the subject of discussions and, um, and debate. And I'm sure um, JLL will part, play a part in that, as, as I'm sure we hope others will too, particularly from the Jewish community, um, so that we can, we can get a, a proper plan in place to get us out of the hole that we've been in for so long. Gemma, the piece I mentioned um, uh, that you published earlier in the week, one of the things I thought was so much so powerful about uh, your conclusion was the need not just for rule changes, but for culture changes. Something that's quite strong in the HRC report is, is, is Peter's point about training, but also broader education for, for members, political education. Um, Hope Not Hate Charitable Trust provides uh, education on, on anti-racism and, and uh, discrimination and and other other issues how do you think the Labour party can approach this they've got this wrong in the past um uh, both in terms of failing to deliver it at all but also you know a lot of people haven't felt the the training is comprehensive or or, or sticky that like actually leaves people being better able to tackle these things how should the party approach this issue of education and training in the future yeah i mean you know that this is something i'm very passionate about and i think that uh, Unfortunately, too many people both put on training and attend training to tick boxes and a good training should actually change the person who's taking involved in it. It should, uh, should change the way they, they are approaching the subject they've come to learn about. So I think that for me, um, we need to be looking at programmes of training which are, are dynamic, um, which are sort of workshop based. I, there, there is a huge ignorance about the diversity of the Jewish experience. Um, and Jewish history and both historical and, and contemporary anti-Semitism. But for me, um, there's no point talking about that unless you can include some element of self-reflection, some element of, I didn't know what I didn't know. And therefore I walk out of this training knowing that I have a vulnerability that it's my responsibility to do something about. That doesn't necessarily mean I want to go and read a 900 page book of the history of the Jews, but it means that I have the confidence to ask questions in a way which is not aggressive and which is seen as asking as an ally. You know, I need to know more, will you help me? Because I, I don't feel I'm confident in this space. And to be honest, that's a skill which once you've learned in this setting um, is gonna be relevant for all elements of inclusion. So I, you know, I'm, for me, for the Labour Party, it's a win-win if they can get this right, because it's gonna make the whole party more inclusive for everybody. Yeah. And, and Stella, the, the implementing these recommendations, um, some of them will include um, 
political fights. There are rule changes to be had at a, a, a Labour Party conference when uh, one of those is able to be held. Um, and some of the culture changes fit exactly what you were talking about just a few moments ago in terms of being voices in CLPs and council groups and, mm. and elsewhere. How, how up for it do you think that people are in the PLP or in the, in the party's grassroots? Like yesterday was the beginning of the end, not the end itself. You know, give us a sense of whether you think there's determination to, to wage this battle to its conclusion. Yes, I think um, to, to coin a phrase somebody once used, I don't think you can't, you can be present but not involved in this battle, um, which is coming. And it is a battle because I think the honest truth is it's difficult. Look, actually being an ally should never be a place of comfort. Um, I know that sounds an odd thing to say, but it's a privileged place to be an ally, to be somebody who isn't first-hand in the firing line, but stands alongside people. But that means you have to ask yourself and constantly check yourself to see whether you are doing what you can. And that can be an uncomfortable conversation. Um, and I think the reality is, and I say this because this is obviously, we need a, a conference to look at our rules, not just about anti-Semitism. I, I speak as somebody who's also been involved in lots of the work around sexual harassment in the labour movement. And we still have a long way to go. And it comes back to the same central point, which is taking the politics out of principle, i.e. people who sexually harass or who religiously abuse people or racially abuse people have no place in a movement that is committed to equality. And you have to be able to be confident that people know if they come forward, A, they will be believed, B, it will be taken seriously, and C, there is a clear process without any ability for anyone to intervene um, for any other reason other than to make sure that, that, that the process is followed um, to, to, to deal with that. And we are a long way off that. Um, and as a result, um, you know, I, I know of people who have experienced um, anti-Semitic abuse uh, within, sadly, within my own party at a local level who have not come forward because they said, what's the point? And I know of people who have sadly been sexually harassed again, who have not come forward because they said, well, he or he is going to be protected, the person, the perpetrator, because he's, you know, mates with X or Y or Z. And in a volunteer movement, these are challenges that you face. Now, we're not alone as a volunteer movement in terms of having people who, as I say, have devoted their lives to the cause that they care about and the communities that they're passionate about. Um, but we are alone in not having proper processes to deal with that. That is not going to be an easy or comfortable fight. If we get this right, there are people who you may have great affection for who will be found wanting. And being an ally cannot just be about comfort. comfort. You know, it cannot just be about a message on Shana Tover. It has also got to be about, well, the hard yards of challenging and changing those cultures. Now, what I, what I also would flag up is I think Gemma is very right about... Um, people being able to reflect on what they did not know they did not know because I think if we are honest and you know I was very taken by Peter saying that JLM had perhaps been a, a sleepy organization I think we had taken it for granted on the progressive left that people understood what anti-semitism was and what it looked like um, and so when people have come along and often they've come along and they've argued very aggressively no 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 that's not anti-semitism that's just criticism that's because you don't want to support the palestinian cause we haven't necessarily had members who've been even to, to to explain why they are uncomfortable about something and i think some of that training has to be about helping people understand what modern anti-semitism looks like and how it manifests itself and the presumptions behind that as well as um, what people might call the more traditional more obvious anti-semitism 
again, none of that is going to be comfortable or easy conversation. It's just that it is now imperative um, if the soul of the labour movement, let alone its capacity to be a, 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 an effective um, vehicle for the values that we all hold, is to survive. Um, because I think we're at that point now, you know, and, and for some of us, we've been at that point for some time. What that report yesterday did was say, essentially, time is up. We cannot, in any sense, have any more equivocation about this. Um, and that means there's practical rule changes, and that will lead a, a conference, but it also means the commitment and the leadership at a local level upwards. Um, I am very proud that my local constituency party has affiliated to the JLM, but do I think that is enough? No. Do I think that solves any of the problems that we've had in our local community, let alone at a national level? No. I think it is the start, not the end of a conversation. I think the piece around self-reflection is, is really vital. Um, and, it, you know, it's part, of the, it's part of the ask that JLM has always made of the Labour Party when issues have arise, arised and we've, we've attempted to deal with them, which is, you know, please see the world through our eyes and understand what it is that we're, we're saying. Because, you know, the overwhelming, like, vast majority of Labour Party members are good and decent people. Like, they join, join the Labour Party because they believe themselves to be progressive and they want to change the world. And their values of peace and justice and, and fairness. But there's a disconnect between that perception of themselves and sometimes some of the, the thoughts and ideas and themes and tropes of anti-Semitism that are able to creep in. And, and, and partly that's a reflection of the fact that anti-Semitism you know, is a thing. It's, 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 a, it's, a, it's a historical fact and has been on the left just as much as it has been on the right and takes interesting and um, new form, forms um, as it evolves. And, you know, that's part of the Labour Party's history to some extent, you know. The Jewish Labour Movement's been affiliated for 100 years. And throughout that 100 years, there have been struggles. You know, the, the, um, the affiliation of the Labour Party in 1920 was a response to um, some of the kind of the anti-Semitism that existed within the trade union movement around themes of Jewish liberation. Uh, it, um, the labour movement at the time of the 1900s opposed Jewish migration from the Pale of the Settlement, from pogroms and persecutions from Eastern Europe. Um, and, you know, leading lights within the labour left, like the Webbs and the early Fabians, had deeply problematic views about, about Jewish people. But the labour movement's always been able to, I think, until 2015, be self-reflective, number one, but also be able to know what the barriers and the limitations of, of dangerous speech are. And there have been moments over the last five years where you find yourself in a constant battle um, with people um, who don't appear to listen, that your brain and your mind starts to go um, into some really dark spaces. And um, you know, one of those dark spaces was, was kind of reading um, Hannah Arden and, and the kind of the concept of the banality of evil, which was, you know, the, there were, there were good people who should have been able to spot rhetoricians and populists using the language of negativity and fear and hate, even on the left, and weren't able to spot that it was creeping into our political discourse. And so to go forward, like, we've got to acknowledge it. Like, we've got to acknowledge that those things have happened. Because to some extent... And, you know, in a sense, you know, it's not the overwhelming majority of Labour Party members. It really isn't. You know, we really do believe that, you know, the most, most people that I've campaigned with in my life are, are great people. But there's a degree of radicalisation that's happened within the Labour Party around some of, the, some of those big themes, whether it's 
um, you know, new anti-Semitism or kind of anti-capitalism. They've kind of just crept in and, and, and the Jewish community can see them, right? You know, we spot them. Uh, we're trained to know what anti-Semitism looks like because it's impacted us um, for thousands of years. And that disassociation between, you know, a, a member who hasn't had to face up to it or it hasn't been pointed out to them and their ability to be self-critical and reflect. I hope that that's there. There are some people who have failed, you know, and, and there's a key one in, in this story who has um, and doesn't appear to ever want to, to go through that process of self-reflection. But I hope if the HRC report does anything, it will give people a bit of a prod and, and a bit of a space to kind of do that self-reflection. Gemma, um, do you want to jump in? Yeah, I just, I, I mean, what Peter said kind of mainly um, reminded me of something I'd, that Dave Rich published yesterday. Um, and it kind of really at the heart of, of how we got so entrenched in this problem, which is, you know, that even, even the slogan for the many, not the few, even that, even that slogan, um, this idea that there is a, a few people who um, are, you know, hoarding the wealth, are owners of capitalism, are, for Jewish people, it's so immediately obvious that you can creep from that very easily into anti-Semitic tropes. So this framing of, the last four years of the Labour Party um, as, as, as a kind of a place where, um, you know, it's us against the few, which in itself is not problematic, but it, it's just got, there's just so much vulnerability there for it to slip into anti-Semitism. Um, and Jewish people, as Peter said, Jewish people are so aware of this. The Jewish Labour movement was raising this as an issue. Um, but what was happening at the same time as that um, which we've already talked about a bit, is this, this sense of kind of losing one's voice, um, partly from the gaslighting and the denialism, um, and partly because of the sort of unconscious anti-Semitism, that what you have to say isn't really as valid as anything anybody else has to say, and, and is, is within a framework that you are, in some sense, problematic because of your, because of your identity. And sometimes that identity is not even an identity you, you up until this point had claimed for yourself. This is being thrust upon you by people who are seeing you as problematic because you're Jewish, even though you had never necessarily even brought your Judaism to the table and never seen it as part of why, you know, what you're doing. Whether you, were, whether you did or you didn't, that negative framing was, was put upon you. Um, and that means that you, you kind of, you're boxed in. Whatever you do is wrong because you, it, it's already been decided that you're, you're not there for the same reasons that everybody else is there. You're not there for the project. You're not there to be progressive. You have some kind of agenda. Um, and, and that's, I think that's hugely problematic. And, and again, going back to what Peter was saying about have people been, begun to recognize that? A huge number of people have, but I think we've got a massive learning curve. Um, both those people are beginning to recognize it and, and those people who are just sticking their heels in and not wanting to confront the problem. Stella, I'll give you the final word. Yeah, I just thought it would be worth going back to why Jewish labour, and as in the labour movement, because and I think what Gemma said there really captures quite a lot of what I would have said, which is, I'm in the labour I'm a socialist, because I believe in a society where you divide people up, so you pick a side, which is what I think 
um, the Conservatives do, you know, there's the rich versus the poor, there's the uh, immigrants versus people born in a country, refugees, whether you blame Europe, you find somebody to tell people this is why your life is not how you want it to be and this is who you should blame for it then all of us miss out. I'm in the Labour movement because I believe when people collaborate, when we pool our resources, there is nothing that we cannot achieve. So actually an inclusive politics isn't about picking a side, it's about picking a purpose. But that is a hard thing to do. And actually on a very basic level, asking people to speak up, you know, to stick their head above the parapet, is always going to be a difficult thing to do, to fight a power imbalance, to fight those people who do want to divide people, who do want to say, if your life is terrible, here's who you blame. Um, I thought your hope not hate research recently into misogyny showed this very well, this kind of look, if your life isn't what you want, here's a gateway to blaming somebody, i.e. women. And I think we have become a situation where people want to blame Jewish people for why the world is unfair. I mean, that's the kind of anti-capitalist line of it. And to, to challenge that for me is about the values and the politics of the Labour movement, because if the Labour movement exists anything, it's to say, see that parapet, we're with you. We are with you on the barricades because all of us benefit when society doesn't divide itself, doesn't hate people, but actually brings people together in, in common cause. So it damages all of us and it damages the capacity of the Labour movement to be able to affect the social changes that it wants to do when we accept the idea that there are some people who are not part of that vision. Um, and I think one of the things that's so powerful about that report yesterday is this is also about what does it mean to be a socialist? What does it mean to champion equality? Why does that matter to your vision of what the good society looks like? Um, those people in the Labour movement who think that this isn't their cause, who think, well, yes, anti-Semitism might have been taking place in those big London CLPs, but it's nothing to do with me, or maybe it's something to do with the leadership, but it's nothing to do with me anymore, miss the point that it damages our entire movement and it damages our capacity to achieve the good society that we want if we don't stand together on those barricades to fight it and tear it down. And I think what is so powerful to me about what the Jewish Labour movement has done is in a situation of un unimaginable toxic politics, they have stood up. And what is unimaginable to be now is that if we continue to say, well, it's over to you guys to fight this fight rather than this is all of our concern, because all of us will lose if we do not win this battle. Stella, thank you. Peter, Gemma, thank you so much for the vital work that you do. And thank you, everyone, for listening to the Hope Not Hate podcast.